Hello and welcome back to this Leap Deprivation Enthusiast Handstand cast with me, Emmett Lewis. So uh, this week we have no Mikhail, so I'll ask Mikhail, how's it going, Mikhail? Why do you make me do this? Thank you, Mikhail, for your enthusiastic contribution to the podcast. So uh, Mikhail is away finishing, I think he's at Handstand Extravaganza. So if you are at Handstand Extravaganza, I hope you're having a great time. If you're not at Handstand Extravaganza, you should probably go. It looks really good. I unfortunately couldn't make it this year, but uh, I will try and make it next year. Uh, yeah, other than that, it looks like a great event uh, from what I have seen. Other than that, we are doing a podcast. I am sleep deprived as normal. Sleep deprived as normal. You know, I have to say, I think someone was taking the piss because... You know, after the last podcast went out, I got a sponsorship request for one of these cognitive enhancement supplements where they want to sponsor the podcast. You want to sponsor your podcast, and here's our cognitive enhancement supplement. It's not that bad. I have coffee. Maybe I do need this supplement. I might just do this to get the free supplement, see what it's like. But uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of hmm, a bit too close to home, more so than anything else. Uh, yeah, so. You know, everything's going pretty good in the Motion Abbey. The baby has started to sleep for longer stretches. We were getting, yeah, going about like one chunk a night. We get about three, three and a half hours. And then she's kind of awake every hour. The main thing that wakes her up, and I'm sure there's a few parents listening to our cast will understand this, is like, reason my child woke up. It's cold. No. It's uh, hungry. No. It farted really loud and scared itself and now it has to wake up and be comforted back to sleep. So, yeah, that's a, I'd say 80% of her wake-ups are loud farts. They're not that many, but uh, yeah. Thanks, child. Other than that, do I need to be changed? You know, maybe not. Did I fart again and wake myself up and got scared with a loud noise? Yep. So, babies, yeah, loads of fun. I think, uh, you know, it's one of these things I think I've seen on Twitter a while ago that uh what was it so some fitness influencer someone shared the thread take the piss out of it and some fitness influencer was like oh i just found out my girlfriend is whatever three months pregnant uh announcing here's a top 20 thread on what fatherhood is and how you can be a better father now bear in mind this is his first kid and he's probably under 30 so yeah so I'm going to wait at least a year, and then I'll do, this is how you can be the best father to a one-year-old. Make sure it's fed and changed. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. So other than that, I suppose we should get onto it. I'm, once again, like, this is the kind of thing. I'm saying I'm going to do the podcast off the top of my head, but honestly, all our podcasts are done off the top of our head with no scripting. We just kind of pick a topic and talk on it. So... Yes, I am pulling one out of my ass as normal, and let's see what we do. So I thought for this one, just for, it's kind of topical for myself because I'm rehabbing this wrist jank, uh, I thought we would do the kick-up in, revisit the kick-up. I know we've done an episode on it before, but I think it's wordy as such an important thing we do in handstands. I think it's wordy to go through it, and I'm going to try and talk about it in as much depth as possible. So, first we've got to think about what the kick-up is. And the kick-up, obviously, is an entering of the handstand. It is also an inverting of the relationships of the center of mass. 
And it is also, it's also, this idea of inverting, I think, is interesting because not only we're changing the gravity order of the centers of mass. So if we think about the body, we have three centers of mass. Well, we have one, but we have three kind of main body weight centers. We have belly button-ish, torso-ish, you know, hips, belly button, torso, heart, and head. The three kind of heaviest sort of segments of the body. We're kind of like an insect in that regard. We have like better legs than insects. Some of us do, some of us don't. And we are basically flipping their relationship. So instead of the perturbations of we can think of a lot of times like say with our vision head moves torso moves hips move in that kind of order but in handstands we're changing ourselves into an inverted pendulum we're already an inverted pendulum but we're changing into an inverted inverted pendulum but that is not a double cancellation it's not a pendulum it's an inverted inverted pendulum yes complicated but it's like those languages where a double negative is still negative, it's just more negative. So we're into 1984 here, where it's like double negative plus negative kind of levels. Anyway, so what we're also doing is we're inverting everything in the body, and we're also changing the function of the bones. We're changing the shoulders into a load-bearing structure, and we're changing the legs into a leg-bearing structure into the arms. So we're getting, you know, hands as feet and feet as legs as arms. So that, uh, there's an episode of The Simpsons on that, Mr. McGreg, with uh, arms for a leg and legs for an arm. That idea is we're turning it into it. And I always kind of think of, like, the handstand. If you were to kind of, you know, there's always this idea of teriantropy when we are putting animal facets onto sports like uh you know i'm doing doing one of these sports we chase someone like you know it's kind of say american football they throw the ball to someone he sprints and then someone else chasing down it's like oh it's very line like it's like a line chasing a gazelle down this idea has got a fast component i really think handstands as it's like spirit animal has an octopus because we have you know, we have our arms and legs, but then we also, and a big head, or a small head, whatever size head you have, uh, then, but we also turn that upside down. So we basically double the amount of arms and legs with some of them taking double functions. So for me, I think handstands have the spirit animal of the octopus. And uh, for other circus arts, I think like cordelis or rope, they kind of have like a more snake-like kind of animal in my mind. And jugglers just have clown it's an animal trust me a clown is an animal but so we have this idea that we're like changing the function of our body in all regards and i think that's kind of interesting because if we start looking at the kick up with this idea that we are very first kind of thing we think of on the kick up is we're placing our hands on the ground so we're beginning to give sensations to the hands that they wouldn't normally have. Like, they have pressure, but they don't really have a, like a high degree of pressure unless you're gripping something. So you've got this engagement with the ground as the very first step of the kick-up, where I put my hands on the ground. We can think about, in a kick-up, there's different ways to kick-up as well. We teach a certain way because we find it successful, but then there's other styles. And we can think, regardless of which style of kick-up you do, the first thing is, you have to have, like, 
hands touch the ground this could happen very fast say i'm doing a more gymnastic kick up where i'm like trying to kick and gather legs quite quickly or i'm doing say the one we teach where we put hands down get set work on our spacing but either way there's this idea of like your hands go into light contact with the ground and then heavier contact and the weight gets into them and at this point of it's like an interfacing with the ground it's like it's like getting that dreadlock from what's that movie, Pocahontas in Space. I can't remember. You know the one I mean, anyway. The Pocahontas in Space movie, where they had the dreadlocks and they'd interface with each other. And it's the exact same idea. as like, my hands become the interface with the ground. The very first thing is, like, we have this tactile relationship with the ground via our hands. And this is where certain things get proposed to us. Like, the floor surface, just its texture, will cause a reaction in the body. It's the exact same of, like, you know, oh... I'm stroking a cat that's really fluffy, or I'm stroking a cat that's one of those weird bald ones. If they have a different texture, your body will have a different reaction to it. Same way of like I'm holding, you know, I'm putting my hands on something hot, I'm putting it cold. There's a, there, it will be a reaction felt in the body via this contact. It can be subtle or it can be not too subtle. But at the same time, there is something there that causes something. It's like... You know, when you, you can test this out on your feet as well. If you go, if you're not used to walking barefoot on surfaces where you can walk over some mud and just pay attention to what happens in your body, what's actually happening in the body, not the feet, the body. And then you could walk over some gravel. You have a different thing. You have a bigger contrast. You go out to your garden or out to a park. And it's kind of one of these things, like you see it in, see, I've seen these in Germany a bit where they have, barefoot walking trails that lead you through loads of different textures from bark to pebbles, sand, mud, water, etc. just to give you a kind of an interesting sensation. But even in handstands, we have this idea where like, okay, I'm going on the floor, but there's a difference between a floor that is wooden and how it feels in the hand to a gymnastic mat. And I'm not even talking about like, you know, the softness or the squishiness of the floor. That's something completely different. I'm talking about what that initial, I place my hands on the floor and what does it cause to me? And what does it, what does it trigger? Does it give a shiver? Does it make me tense? And this is one of the things I think where a lot of people, it's good to have a consistent floor space because then your body already kind of knows what it feels like and it remembers it and there's an expectation. And like, I notice this myself, like when I'm training, so we're training in the chapel now and it's got a nice wooden floor, but the wooden floor isn't level across the boards. So I have to find that space where, like, even if, like, I just get the, you know, this thing, your hands are incredibly sensitive. So millimeters is something. So, like, the board difference, the height of one board rejoins onto the other, it might be a millimeter or two. But I have to place my hand where it's not getting that contact. I have to find, like, a little, like, I don't know, people know my hand position. I raise my first knuckles off the ground when I handstand. So I have to place like the gap between the board between there so I don't feel it. And it's also like we have a bit more, it's like oak planks. So oak has a certain texture compared to pine. Whereas if I was training up in, say, our living room, which has smooth, varnished, sanded pine, it's a very different texture. And it is like this first engagement with the ground, I think, is important. At the same time, it's like, you know, if you put your hands down, your floor is not swept or there's a little pebble underneath it. Ooh, suddenly you're in for a bad time. Maybe you might not notice. This is the thing, if you don't notice, or you're paying attention to something else, you're distracted. Then you go inverted, and you have that little stone right under the pad of your thumb, 
you know all about it. If the floor is a bit dusty, you know all about it. It's this idea of like our first touch in the kick-up and how we get to our first touch. So we kind of have these ideas of like, okay, we can have hands on the floor in our kind of running man start, or we could go from just a standing position, arms down. And this also proposes the our arms up and our arms down. I like arms down on kick-ups. I let them be really heavy, pushing towards the ground. And then as I lean forward, my arms via gravity will always just be hanging straight down. And then when I place them down, they won't be forward or back, they're straight down. Whereas if I was to do something a bit more gymnasticky, where we have hands up, we're emphasizing a straight line, hands up, go through a T position, hands down. This is where we could be a bit too open or closed. Now, once you practice this, this is irrelevant, but we could be a bit too more open on a line, or we could be a bit too closed. Whereas with the hands on the floor, we already know where we are. So we can think of the handstand is that our arm angle ideally is, you know, it should be vertical to the ground, 90 degrees. But a lot of the time it isn't, particularly when you're learning. It's, if you look at the arm angle of beginners, particularly when people are learning to balance, the arm angle is leaning slightly towards the fingertips. And this is one of the reasons it's like it's a way of training over balance. If we're leaning slightly further forward, we can keep constant pressure on the fingertips, which isn't ideal, but it's a good, it's a good intermediate stage where I can keep concentrating, and then the underbalance side, I have a bit more time to correct underbalance, whereas if I'm right on the balance line, it's harder to correct underbalance. You need to be faster and more reactive or more proactive with the balancing. But there is that idea that when we're engaging with the ground and our arms are now, our hands are in contact with the ground, we've pushed through, we have our arms straight, but maybe in our kick-up, we don't want to be vertical. We want to be slightly forward or we want to avoid being slightly backwards. This is one of the things that gets people a lot in their kick-up is what happens to the arms when I initiate the movements in the body to invert the body. Whereas if I could place my hands... But then I'm in my running man start. I place my hands. I have them exactly where I want them to be. But then when I swing my leg, the momentum of the leg swinging, because the circle has a backwards component, it pulls the arm slightly backwards. This could be a big movement. It could be small. It could be 10 degrees. It could be 20, 30 degrees. But then the arms are diagonal back towards the feet. And then we have a bit of a problem because we have to get the center mass up high enough that it goes over the balance point or over the line of the arms to pull the arms into position. This is where you will, if your arms are backwards, where you'll start to see the snake happen, where if I kick up to a straight line and my arms are diagonal back towards the feet, that means my straight line is straight, but it's not pointing up to the ceiling. It's pointing back towards the hands. That means I'm going to fall out. Whereas if I, to correct this, a lot of the time what people will do by default, because the body, once you have a sensation being upside down, the body can correct it. The body will arch the back or kick a leg further over to try to get more mass on the other side of the body of the balance point. And the shoulders mightn't open, they might close or sink to try and get that. And then you could stabilize your balance there. There's no reason then reset your shoulders. Whereas if I 
have my arms slightly further forward. I like shoulders forward. Once again, we're talking 10, 15, 20 degrees, 30 degrees lean. At 30 degrees a lot. But it is a lean forward towards the fingers with the shoulders. Then when I go and kick, because I'll kick and the leg will want to pull me backwards, that will pull the shoulders, but it pulls them into the vertical direction where I want to go. See what I'm getting at? And it's the same mechanic that we think when we want to press handstand. When we want to press handstand, we put the hands on the floor and we lean forward to get the weight in the hands. If we try to keep the weight backwards, we have all the weight in the feet and we can't press. So it's the same idea. Now, the degree of lean will be different for everyone. and As you get better, it can be more vertical. But there is this idea that if you're struggling with kick-ups, I want to basically get slightly further forward. The next idea on the kick-up is we want to essentially treat it in all cases, either in gymnastics, handstands, wherever, as having less arrivals. And what this means is we want to have an idea in our body that we're trying to have everything will either synchronize and arrive at the same time, or not have where we go, okay, my chest is set, okay, hips go, knees go, feet go. Yeah, we want to try and bias our kick up to the point where like everything works in sequence or everything that we can set in the position we want to arrive in our handstand is set. So this could think like when I'm having my hands on the ground, I already have my shoulders pre-elevated and protracted. When I'm protracted, I'm also thinking about keeping the chest hollow. And this becomes important because as you get stronger in the kick-up, you want to put less and less momentum. You want to have the least amount of momentum in your kick-up possible because then you don't have to stop things. You don't have to react to them or proactively stop things. So then I'll kick. And because my chest is already set now, it doesn't need to be overemphasized. It might, it could do for some people to learn how to do it. Then my spine, as it straightens out on top of the arms, it articulates to my handstand line. Whereas if my spine is already straight or if it's arched or extended and I kick up, then I have to find a way to sink the chest back in on top of myself. So we have this idea of like, okay, I'm hands on the ground. I'm pushing through. I'm shoulders beginning to protract and elevate. So they're already into that position I want them to go. Or they're, you know, depending on how your alignment is or how well your shoulder control is, they could be in the exact position you want in your handstand. You know, there is various on this, and this is the thing with kick-up. Because it is a dynamic movement, it's going to be different every single time. And we have to bear that in mind. So we have to have a lot of experience with it so we can intuitively correct it at certain points. Then, when we have the chest go, we have the leg swings. So we can think about on the leg swings where what is happening with the legs. Because this is one of the things, that, particularly for beginners and even more advanced people, it can become habit to bend the legs or the legs to do funky things. And there's a lot of like drills that are really nice for this where like you kind of overcorrect and practice the sections of the leg action themselves just from the ground to the half kick-up position, as we call it. So that's when you're 
you've kicked up, one leg is roughly vertical or slightly past the balance line, and the other leg is still on the hand side. And this could be a big split or it could be a small split. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter exactly where you're going in terms of leg split, but you want to have them separated. But to get to this point, a lot of things can happen on the legs. It can be tempting to bend the bottom leg, not fully extend, or bend the first leg or not fully extend the bottom leg so in this we have all these drills that i think are quite nice and kind of you know i'm not going to say forgotten about because loads of coaches use them where you just practice like lifting the leg and i'll overdo the amount of tension in the leg it's this idea of like if i so let's say i need 80 percent of tension in my knee being pulled up my toe pointed to maintain a straight leg well then i'm going to give it a hundred percent for this lift and I'm going to try and lift it as high as I can without twisting or without going too far. And I'll do repetitions. And this is one of these things where, if you remember the last cast, I talked about drills, where you'll just do so many of them, it just becomes like your default, that this is your body goes, okay, this is what we're doing. I don't need to go or do anything else because I'm just doing the same thing. I'll do 100 of them, 200 of them. Then we can also think that we can do them slow, really feel out the movement, it's one of the things I think is possibly underdone as kick-up is incredibly slow movements. Like, I'm going to hold my leg, I'm going to lift it up, and I'm going to take 15 seconds to lift it as high as I can, and then 15 seconds to lower it down. Really slow. Uncomfortably slow. And I'm going to feel how it wants to change. And other stuff, I'm going to put all my focus into my leg. And I'm just going to lift slowly. And back down slowly. And then once I feel that out a bit, now obviously doing a couple of hundred of them would be difficult. And you may not do a couple of hundred in one session. You could though, it would be very useful. Then we can think about like, okay, I could hold the leg up to its highest point where I reach. Because if we think about our flexibility, we'll get up to our max kind of comfortable active hip extension. And then to get further in the hip extension, most of the time people will start to twist the hips to turn out. So we want to try to find that, maybe use a camera. Then when we get to this point where we're kind of in a bent leg downward dog or bent leg start we could also practice pushing to a straight leg with the bottom leg so i could foot down i'm on my toe i push through the knee through the toe and do kind of like small leg extensions in this position i could do these once again lots of repetitions trying to get them nice i could do them really slow and that's what i want to encourage you really slow 15 seconds up and down. So 30 seconds of repetition and do 100 of them. So it's a whole day of just doing this movement. Obviously change legs as well. Then we can start putting a bit more momentum into these movements where I can start kicking slightly faster. I could start slow and I could put the speed in, could build up over the movement rather than like going really fast at the start and then the speed stays constant, it like has an initiation impulse, and then it stays, once it's accelerated, it stays at a certain speed. I could go slow up halfway, kick. Slow up three-quarter way, kick harder. Slow up, kick. And choose where I put the impulse in, and then see how much impulse you need to start putting momentum into the bottom leg that I can then push through on. So I have this coordination between the top leg coming up, it accelerates, and then it's like, like you know, when someone gives you a bit of a boost when you're jumping, so you jump, and then if 
you, I say a person lifting someone, they jump, they start moving, they break the moment of inertia, and then you push them up. It, it can be very easy to lift someone quite high. Whereas if someone, if you mistime it and they're having jumped or they're coming down when you start to lift, then it gets very heavy. So finding that moment of coordination where you become light and then you can combine it with that other exercise with the bottom leg straightening where I just push through all the way to the end of the toes. I know what my straight leg feels like because I've practiced it. Push through. And that gives me a little hop. And that's really nice just to practice this kind of kick slow, slow with the first leg, kick at the end, feel the second leg getting light, the weight going into the arms. And then I push with that leg and push all the way to the end of those. We're not worrying about going to a kick up here. We could be ending up at 30 degrees to the ground. We could be ending 45 degrees. We could be going up to the ceiling. It's irrelevant. It's a drill to find the coordination between the legs. Because once you find this coordination, then it's just a matter of putting a bit more power into it to getting the kick up. Now, this is where it gets into an interesting point. Because when I have all four legs in contact, I'm in a quadruped. When I'm in a one leg up, I'm in a tripod. When that second leg comes off the ground, I am in a bipedal balance. I'm in a handstand. I'm standing on my hands, or I'm dynamically moving on my hands. I'm doing something on my hands. So that means the arms have to be receiving all the weight. And this is one of the things that I think is have important for beginners. And as you get better, it's kind of irrelevant. And then it becomes a problem for intermediates. Again, I was going to notice because we get a bit lazy when we're intermediate, we get a bit more efficient. Where if I'm if I have my arms straight on the ground and they're touching the ground, and there's a bit of weight going into them. Let's say I have 25% of my weight and I should just pull some numbers out of my ass. Then when I kick and that second leg comes off the ground, suddenly 100% of the weight is in the arm. Bear with me on that one. It's not exactly right, but you know what I mean. And there's 100% of the weight into the arms. And they become my new contact points with the ground. Whereas if I was pushing with 25% of my weight, and that's all I was resisting, then suddenly when I load that 60, 70, 80% of the weight into the vertical direction, into the pushing direction, then suddenly the arms are going to bend and the shoulders are going to loose because they were not pushing hard enough. Whereas if I have this idea of like, uh, the example I like to use is like, you go to go to one of your friends and just jump on their back without warning them. And then they're, they'll just fall over most of the time. Just no warning, just jump on the back. You, know, you can do this. I, I recommend doing it for a bit of fun. Just send me a video if you do it. Just surprise, bam, rail your friend to the ground. We might get big on TikTok or do it some stranger in Lidl or Tesco's or wherever you do your shopping, Walmart. Surprise, I'm jumping on your back. Whereas if you say to your friend, hey, I want to jump on your back, you're going to catch me, they brace themselves and they're ready to receive your weight. It's the same with the arms, that we have to be ready to receive the weight. Whereas if we're not, then when the weight arrives on the hands, we're not pushing with enough so we have not got enough intent it's intent at that stage to receive the weight and something will bend until we can react and begin to catch it so this means our shoulders might yield maybe your shoulders are too high this is the other thing or maybe your elbows bend slightly and then you can re-straighten you see this a lot and whereas if we're ready to go ready thinking like okay i'm, 
I'm 80 kilos. I'm pushing with 80 to receive 80 kilos. Actually, I'm pushing with 90 kilos, so I have a bit more push than I need. Then I can begin to not not yield to the weight. So that's important to be ready to receive the weight in the kick-up. Where you're just like, my leg is going up on top, more weight is going in. Obviously, there's kind of like, as the body angle and the weight angle changes from pointing back towards the feet to the legs, there is a moment of when it's the weight goes more vertical, you have more weight into it. It's kind of a dynamic change. But at the same time, you have to be ready to receive that weight. Because if you're not ready, if you're pushing, if you're 80 kilos and you're pushing with not enough to resist that 80 kilos then something will bend or something will yield in the shoulders or arms. So we have to be ready for that. Then, at the same time, our leg is going up. We are now putting more momentum in. This is when, we, when we're starting, we generally need to use a lot of force to get ourselves up. We haven't got the upper back strength or we don't know how to use it to articulate the spine up. But if we think that we have a general kyphotic spine, so that means our whole spine is curved, which we tend to want in a handstand, then it might be a bit more. But then as I push into the ground, I kick, I transfer the weight in. If I'm pushing harder, I keep pushing into the ground, I push the shoulders, I flex the shoulders a bit harder. So then our kick-up becomes a bit more like a press. It articulates the leg up. So we might need to use momentum. Let's say we're going to the half kick-up position. We might use momentum for... 80% of the movement, and then we actively use the upper back muscles, the spine itself, to control that last 20 degrees, where we place the weight into the vertical position, or the semi-vertical position we want, to then enable us to join the legs. But, at the same time, when we're learning, we're always going to, like, it's better to overshoot the kick-up at the start. So you could be practicing on a wall and you're going to kick up and kick up and hit the wall, bam, kick up and hit the wall, bam. Then as you get better, you want to try and titrate the momentum up where I kick up and I just kiss the wall. I kick up and just the skin of my heel touches the wall. I kick up and I know the wall is there, but I don't touch it. This idea of finding how much power to go in. And this, you know, it's slightly different every day. And as you get better, as you... This thing, as you do more reps, you have the capability to deal with more variability because your body has more familiarity with the movements. So then it becomes kind of irrelevant. But at that start, finding this idea of like, I can kick up, I hit the wall, I make a loud noise, I make no noise, I still kick it, blah, blah, blah. And then it slowly titrates down over a number of weeks, months, to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm just kissing the wall. Or I don't need to do it at the wall, I can just do it in free space. But that idea. Now... When we are kicking up, because we have momentum for doing it in free space, we want to essentially kill the momentum at some points. So this is where we could be pre-squeezing on our fingertips. So I already have a correction being active into overbalance. So when I kick up, the weight goes into the hands, the center mass is going to drift towards the the line projecting towards the fingertips. Fingertips are already squeezed, so it kind of hits the wall and ricochets back into balance. Or, I know in going over, I have familiarity with the movement, I know I have a bit too much momentum to place it nicely, but that's okay, because I'm going to correct just as I feel it, and that's going to stop the movement. So I have to kill the momentum. 
And then I'm in this kind of split leg position. Now, this is when we're in the split leg position where things get interesting because did we try to achieve the task and just the bottom leg came along for a ride and it got loose and floppy? So then I have to correct it maybe. Or that means I have more arrivals to do when I hit the balance point. I have to make my knees arrive and my feet arrive or I kept my legs straight. And this is the thing that comes with practice. It's you know, it's the classic beginner thing of just bending the legs and kickups because you're putting all your intention into the movement, all your attention into the movement or into the pushing, or you don't have enough strength. Obviously, as you get stronger, these things get easier, and as you get more coordinated, your strength becomes more applicable. But I kick. Now, depending on our flexibility and our refinement, a couple of things will happen. To counteract the legs, generally one leg will be slightly past the top line, slightly past the balance line to the overbalance direction. The other leg will be on the other side. Now, when you're learning to join the legs, a lot of people only move the bottom leg. So they bring the bottom leg to the top leg. Whereas what actually wants to happen is the top leg needs to move a certain amount and the bottom leg needs to move a little bit more. So they need to join in the center. And that is definitely one of the ones that catches people out where you're like, okay, I'm just going to join the top leg comes up and crashes over. This also happens when you don't kill momentum. When if we're doing say a kick up that's more applicable tumbling, we want to have a faster joining of the legs. They kinda one leg goes up and the second leg goes bam, kicks into it. And that obviously initiates momentum for going in the forward direction. Whereas for us, where we want to stick in a balance, we want to stop and then join. We want to kill the momentum, and then join. Now, you can join the legs directly. That is another style of kick-up that we don't teach in our programs, but we do you know, use it with people. Or I, I probably use it more than Mikhail, but where we kick, and then the second leg comes up, and we kick up directly to a handstand. Now, that takes a bit more practice, but it's certainly, you have to be able to kill the balance, or kill the momentum with your fingers faster, and have a better idea of where your position is, because if you end up over... That's the thing. We can end up under our line or over our line. Close shoulders, open shoulders, and we have to be able to correct them as well. Familiarity once again. But this idea of like, I go up, I come up like, if I can come up slow and get that idea of placing the last bit of the weight via the pressing action, then there's no reason why I can't just continue with the leg moving at its own pace, second leg this is, moving at its own pace and just join in the middle. So it's worth trying out if you are one of these people who always just kicks up to a half kick up and then join. Playing with the kick up direct is, yeah, give it a go. Tiger us on on Handstand Factory if you're giving it a go and we'll see it get on. Uh, but this idea of like, okay, once we get to the handstand, then the momentum is killed. I'm now stacked on my vertical line or as close to my vertical line as I can, my balance line, that is. Then I'm like, okay, the first reaction has to happen. Now, this is where things get interesting. Whereas I generally would coach people to breed in, breed into their, this is an interesting one. You can breed into the upper back because it's kyphotic, breed into the upper back and that will bias you to be able to get a bit more flexion range of motion. So I'll breathe into the upper back, expand the back of the rib cage. I'll kick up. I'll hold my breath through the whole kick up. And then when I have stabilized the balance, 
I'm going to breathe out. That breathing out will generally initiate the first need to rebalance in the kick-up or in the handstand that we're now in. So this is one of the things that people... I don't really hear people talk about it too much, is your breathing is one of the things that will change. Because like I breathe in, my organs move around, it manipulates the center of mass up or down a little bit or changes it slightly. I need to correct for it. As you get better, obviously your correction is smaller. But it is possible to rebalance the handstand by breathing. Because we can breathe in, we can hold the exhale, and we can hold the inhale, and we can breathe out. And that gives us kind of four little things to play with. And we can also notice that we're in, if, you're, can, if you are better at handstands, if you can get into a really nice, really well-contained handstand, and breathe in and breathe out, and notice how your balance changes, and there is a reaction in the fingers to this. So when we have hit our handstand, and we've exhaled slowly, not explosively let all the air out, then we have a need, obviously we have a need to breathe, but we have a need to react to this or proactively be ready to correct in one direction, depending on where we are. So that kind of gives us a kind of bigger view. Does it give it a bigger view? It gives us a view of the kick-up or a different way of thinking. Is it? No, it's not even a different way of thinking, but it's just some details about it. That we then are going from this static position. This is what's interesting. We go from a static position, either our running man start or standing on the floor ready to prepare a handstand to dynamic, something is happening, chaos kicks in, and then we reassert order onto the movement. And then we're into our static balance again, or our static position, or that's the kind of thing handstand is not very static is it though people say it's static it's a static hold well I'm trying attempting to hold myself static but there's internal chaos and lots of movements happening to maintain that so it's dynamically constrained into a static appearing shape I suppose but it's this idea of like going from A to B the in between and all those sections and all those things that propose to us are kind of where we can start looking for the nuance. And that's where a lot of the things can yeah, go wrong or not go wrong, go right, or go right but at the wrong time. And that's the interesting thing. It's like it's like walking. There's can't remember where this quote is from. Some is it some biomechanics X or something? I was there, just too sleep to buy for this stuff. But walking is a series of catastrophes narrowly avoided. And if you look at like just walking, it's incredibly complicated. Like just all the stuff that has to happen, the body, the coordination, the internal coordination, the weight shifting, arm movement, gaze, blah, 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 all this stuff. In the kick-up, it's the exact same thing. We have this catastrophe waiting to happen. And we have all these things that have to sequence in the right order. And when we get it right, we get to where we want to be. Whereas if we don't get it right, we don't get where we want to be. So... That is kind of, I suppose, I've rambled for about 40 minutes. Yeah, I think I'm hitting the wall. Hold on, let me drink some coffee. Yeah, coffee. Uh, So that is kind of just some thoughts on the kick-up more so than anything else. That we have a lot of stages and we have a lot of things that happen in it. Hopefully, I hope you've gotten something out of it. Maybe there's a few light bulb moments or a couple of drills to try. Now... The thing with the kick-up, 
because it is this static dynamic static. If we think about any other sport that kind of displays this thing, we have, say, weightlifting, where it's like static, starting position, dynamic action, catastrophe, hopefully I stood up with the weight. A lot of sports are like this. A lot of activities, a lot of stuff we do this, we go from nothing with the intent of something to happen, intent turns to action, action turns to results, but the action can be variable. And this is where we have to do a lot of kick-ups because every single kick-up is going to be different. Every single step you take is going to be different. Every single surface you walk across will be different. Every single running stride is going to be different. They're going to be similar. It's a gen- This is the difference between like macro movement patterns. We have movement patterns we can repeat. And then we have micro patterns that we are basically having an anticipation of something, but then we have to build up a sensation base to correct reflexively on this. This is where we have to start thinking of doing fucking loads. That is one of the things. Where kickups, it takes a lot of practice. Presses take a lot of practice. Handstands take a lot of practice. Whereas when we're doing kickups, there is a routine I like. Uh, we've said it before on Instagram and other places on the cast of kickup therapy, where you're going to do 50 kickups every day. And this is the point where you have some conditioning, your kickups. Generally, I would implement this routine when someone is can kick up five times out of ten, four to six times out of ten, let's say, but they're not consistent. And we would set our consistency, um, say we do 20 kickups, 10 each leg, and record our successes. Then we do kickup therapy, which is 25 kickups per leg every day. Every day you're training. It doesn't matter if you're training legs or if you're training upper body, if you're training handstands. You do your warm-up, prep your wrists, obviously. Do your kickups. Do 50 kickups. You'll do that over a period of a month. That gives you nearly a 1,000 kickups. And that is, you know, a lot of kickups. And then you can start testing your... This is the thing. You don't want to get 20 successful kickups. You just want to do 25, 25 successful kickups. Well, obviously, you do. But you just want to do 25. And... You just do 25 each side, and you do train both sides, right? I haven't gotten this far into the podcast, and there's people going to say, I only kick up on my right. You kick up on both sides. Trust me, it's better. You obviously will be better on one side and always bias one side, but it is much better just to practice both sides. So we will do our kick-up therapy. We'll do that for a period of about a month, six weeks, and then we'll retest our consistency and see where we get. Generally, most people should be most people get about 90% of success then. And that's kind of, you know, you could also look at your success thing. You could do your success testing over a period of time on the last week. You could do it over a course of a week and record every kick-up. So I'll do it over four days and I'll record 100 kick-ups. That'll give us a better idea of how successful you are. We could, you know, and when we're doing these kick-ups and kick-up therapy, we don't want to spend long in a balance. We want to, basically I tell people, I want you to kick up, join the legs, make one correction, small correction, and then squeeze the fingers and come down. So it's a conscious choice at every movement to come down. It's not, I'm going to stick my hands, I'm going to stay as long as I get, or I'm going to go over. Obviously, if you go over, you go over, that's fine. It just means you didn't get a hit on that one. But if every time I go successful, it's not like I'm going to hold 5, 10 seconds, because that begins to mount up when you're doing 50. We just go 2, 3 seconds of balance down. It's like, 
you're putting yourself, you're basically going like, have I put myself in a position where instead of going into from this, I've made the successful transition from dynamic to static constraint balance. And then once I have that, I can go, okay, that's cool. I would be able to hold this depending on what my endurance is or what it is for that day or until a bigger correction comes in or not. That's what we're looking for in kick-up therapy. And these are one of the things that's like, they're good to do, but it's good to like break down your kick-up into all the segments, all the little details, and just refine them, drill them till they're perfect or as close to, yeah, perfect in this sense means you're able to deal with a wide range of variability not I do the exact same thing every single time because that's impossible. So we just have such a familiarity with it. It's like, oh, my shoulder's a bit further forward today. Okay, I need to push harder with the upper back or flex the shoulders harder to get on top. Oh, my legs started to bend at three quarters way up, but I felt it enough that I was able to reestablish the straight leg when I got the balance. I didn't. Everything on the body is so familiar with the actual movement that the nuance can come out and when the nuance is out, I know what that sensation is in the body, and I know how to correct it. So, that was the kick-up. I hope you had a few light bulb moments or something to think about on that. I am going to wrap it up there. Uh, other than that, yeah. I'm not certain where we'll be. I think Mikhail might be doing a solo episode next week, and then the week after we'll be back to joint episodes. Or it could be a two-week break to it. It's a bit, you know. Coming at the end of summer, things are a bit all over the place. And yeah, Mikhail is, I think next episode he's going to say how broken he is from doing 17 shows in a row in Prague at the moment of different variations of the show. And possibly his new origami, which it's that kind of thing. Whenever Mikhail is doing origami, I never hear from him. Whenever, whenever he's not doing an origami, we talk a lot during the day. But when there's a new origami, when like the messages turn out to like one every two days, it replies everything, I know, okay, he's got a two by two meter sheet, he's going... Uh, other than that, uh, I've been Emmett Lewis, and this has been the Sleep Deprivation Fanaticist Handcast, Handstandcast, and we will speak to you soon. The Handstandcast is brought to you by Handstand Factory, and is produced by Motion Impulse. Thanks for tuning in. You can find a full transcript of each episode, along with the show notes and any relevant references on handstandfactory.com slash podcast. Thanks to Isaac for editing, and Jordan for transcriptions. Music by Daniel Horwath. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com or consider starting one of our Handstand Factory online programs. Links are in the show notes.